everybody, it's Play to Innovate, the innovation show that goes beyond the hype. Now here's your host, my dad, Brett Schwab. Today I want to talk to you about innovations people laughed at, but in the context of what might be holding you or your company back from actually innovating. There are a number of things that could be holding you or your company back, and I talk about five of the major ones in my book, Play to Innovate. They are low morale, legacy and past success, politics, a lack of vision, misunderstandings, and fear. But today I want to add one more, which is, which is not changing your thinking. And that's directly related to legacy and past success, but it also has other causes. And, and I'll get into a couple of examples about that as well. But when it comes to low morale, it, that can stem from the person or the environment that they're in. I think we've all experienced periods of time where we have some low morale and, and we need to do something about that. And it's really our responsibility. There are other times where it is the environment we're in. And I've experienced both. I'm sure many of you have as well. On a personal note, when I've grown either complacent or I grow tired or bored with what I'm doing, it, I start experiencing low morale, and I know that it's time to move on. And I usually start looking for a, a new job or a new career path at that point. There have been a couple of times where it was a tough choice. Do I leave this great team or a fun job to find something else that potentially has... Well, there's risks involved, let's be honest. There's the risk of something new, so it's the difference between the devil you know and the devil you don't know kind of thing. But in the end, I've found that I've always moved on to something better, a better environment, uh, a more interesting role, more money, things like that. And so I think it's worth it. If, if you're in that position, I think it's worth it to start looking, see what else is out there, and start exploring uh, moving on. But low morale can also come from the environment you're in, and that could be um, just feeling stifled or micromanaged or any number of things. And if you're in that position, I it's been my experience and the experience of the people I've talked to that once you're unhappy, you're not going to be happy, so it's time to move on. There's also legacy and past success. Now, Legacy is the idea that our company has always been this way, and so people expect us to be a certain way, provide certain products or services, and so we can't change. Now, the whole we can't change issue is a much bigger topic. I will say this, though, that you can change. Other people have done it. It's just a lot of hard work. And uh, I can't really speak much more to it than that, but I think there are plenty of people out there who have successfully changed their market and changed their audience and can speak to that much more than I can. But then there's past success, and I think that that is relatively self-explanatory. It's the past financial success or the past success of your product. It's really popular, but that's an insidious trap to fall into because you grow complacent and decide that you don't need to do anything, but the second the, the bottom falls out of your industry or the market shifts or any, any number of things happen and you're not prepared, you can lose everything. And I watched a company that I was really proud to be a part of 
go through this whole issue when their industry changed. And when I started with them, they were already five years behind. By the time that we were able to start moving things and making a change, we were a further two years behind and the industry had already left us in the dust. So it was a hard pill to swallow, but a big lesson learned. And then there's politics. And it's not necessarily the overt politics of you're going to do it my way or it's the highway kind of thing. It's really the, the subtle politics of people protecting their little kingdom or protecting their little world inside that, that company. It is also the politics of I have some power and I'm going to uh, let, let the world know because now I'm a big person. Uh, and that takes a very small person to behave like that. But there's also the politics that comes from I'm in a position of power and I want to have my I want to have a hand in building whatever project this is and so I'm going to start pushing my influence around. That kind of politics is a great way to destroy a project and it's a fantastic way to hold a company back from actually innovating and moving on. And it, it's a very selfish act, quite frankly. There's also the, the idea of a lack of vision. And if you are in a position where you are the vision caster for that company, having a lack of vision is fixable. But it is also, it can be frustrating for the person who lacks that vision. It can also be a blind spot for the person who lacks that vision. But it's also frustrating for the people below that person who are waiting for a vision to come to them and a direction essentially to head. Now I'll talk about how to fix some of these things uh, in a little bit later, but but I also want to touch on the concept of misunderstandings and fear. Fear often comes from misunderstandings, but there are the misunderstandings of things like the typical idea of you're either born creative or not, or I'm not in a creative field, things like that. And that can be fixed as well. But there's also fear of things like the fear of success, where the idea that, you know, if I'm successful now, I have to continue on and be exactly as successful. The fear of failure, uh, a very typical one. Uh, the fear of reprisal, where you're afraid to assert your ideas because you might step on somebody's toes, and that also goes back to the whole politics issue. But I also want to add the idea of not changing your thinking. And I have a couple of fantastic examples that somebody actually gave me today that really touch on the not changing your thinking. And that, again, it goes back to kind of legacy and past success, but we'll get into that in a second. But let me tell you a few stories about some past innovations that people laughed at, ridiculed, or uh, were great examples of what not to do. And I have to say, I've always wanted to be able to start a story with, well, and that's the last time I go bungee jumping with Steve, or something like that. And none of these are like that. But they are, as again, they are great examples of what holds people back. And the first one, I want you to imagine you're in 1750s England, and there is a there was a man named Jonas Hanway who was walking down the street carrying the first umbrella. Now, you would think nobody would really care. I think in the context of our society, people would think see it as a curiosity or actually maybe want one, especially if it's raining. 
But people actually back then saw it as a sign of weakness of character. They thought it was too French. And handsome cab drivers actually started throwing trash and, and uh, jeers at Jonas because they were actually afraid of losing their jobs. After all, why would you need a cab when it's raining if you have an umbrella to protect you from the weather? So they were pretty angry with them. And in fact, one handsome cab driver tried to run him over, at which point Jonas uh, then beat the man with his umbrella. So I guess the umbrella has two functions in Jonas's case. Now, the thing about all of this is that you can't stop the march of progress. And so by 1786, the taboo of carrying an umbrella, and yes, it was a social taboo to carry an umbrella, was actually busted. More people were now proud umbrella owners and carrying them around in the rain. So uh, so Jonas Hanway, and then um, there were anecdotal stories about other people in other villages uh, doing the same thing, helped to usher in an era of of umbrella use. Now, this is a great example of sometimes it just takes bravery to buck the social norms. And it's also a great example of how you can't stop the march of progress. When something proves itself, then it proves itself and people will catch on, they'll start using it. It's also an example of legacy and, and you know, social norms being the legacy there. But Again, broken because people saw the, the benefit and they started realizing, hey, if Jonas and uh, you know the handful of other people I see are brave enough to do this, maybe I can be brave enough to do it. It really just takes one brave soul. Now let's move on about 100 years to 1878, if you're keeping score on the dates. Uh, a British Parliament committee said that the Edison light bulb was good enough for our transatlantic friends, but unworthy of the attention of practical and scientific men. Again, it's uh, stuck in tradition, stuck in the past. It's, it, but it's actually a great example of a lack of vision because they didn't see the value of the light bulb. Now, before you start laughing at our British friends in the 1800s, remember that the light bulb was still catching on in the, in the United States as well. And, and when it first debuted, people were actually a little bit afraid of it. And so it had to catch on. And it also had to, it also needed help from Edison, who had to run all of the electricity as well. It's also a great example of some things being ahead of their time and needing a bit of a push for people to see its value and start using it. But I also want to jump backwards in time because not everything, not every innovation is a gadget or a thing. In this case, it's actually a drink. It's coffee. And back in the 1500s, when coffee was just starting to be introduced to the world, um, it was thought to induce a form of drunkenness. Coffee houses were considered meeting centers for reactionaries. And uh, some people even thought it was causing common diseases. Now, this is a great example of fear kind of born from misunderstanding. But the misunderstanding comes from what I call common knowledge or just using uh, what you believe to be true or you've thought up yourself uh, instead of verifiable facts and research. It really is something that 
everybody does. I know I do it. I've had at least once every other month or so, somebody come up to me and say, you know, Brett, that that's really not true. And have to, and I have to change the way I think based on this new evidence. At the same time, though, I think back in the 1500s, I think common knowledge, or because I believe it to be true, uh, was probably their verifiable research. But that said, uh, even today, there are plenty of people out there who believe something because they believe it. They thought it up. It's uh, something that they saw based on the little world around them, and they have not gone off and gotten verifiable information. But let's move back into the 1900s, to, and we're at about World War One, where uh, a French general and allied commander said, airplanes are interesting scientific toys, but they are of no military value. Now, this is definitely a lack of vision. It's a lack of understanding where uh, a product or a thing can go. And while the state of the art for airplanes was uh, pretty horrible back then, in fact, there are stories about uh, models of airplanes called the, the one-hour bomber because if you, weren't, if you weren't landing within an hour, you were crashing. And so either way, you were back on the ground. But uh, it was only eight years later that the first seaplane actually flew across the Atlantic. Now, this is an interesting thing for me because if you're looking at, at something like a World War I-era airplane, I could certainly see how you'd think, yeah, this is not going to go very far. They, it was extremely difficult to get where they were in the first place, so how could they advance that much more quickly? Well, they did. So uh, things were moving pretty quickly back then as well. One of the last examples I want to touch on is one of my favorite stories about vision and understanding where things can go. It is about Ken Olson, the founder of Digital Equipment Corporation. And back in 1977, he said, there is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. It, his lack of vision is kind of surprising to me. And it really, I like this story because it shows that anybody can have a lack of vision. But his lack of vision is especially surprising to me because he is the founder of a tech company. So how is he not seeing the direction that computers could head? And in fact, his computer was a mini version of a mainframe. He should have seen that that the trend was towards smaller, more powerful computing. But he also, as the founder of a tech company, somebody involved in technology, should have also understood that there were researchers about a decade before him doing some pretty amazing things with even mainframes, even the low-powered machines that they had. Things like um, completely integrated office solutions with spreadsheets and word processing and, and uh, calendar applications and things like that. There were other researchers putting together video games um, using, it was kind of a, you know, a hodgepodge bailing wire and chewing gum solution but they were at least showing that it was possible. Being able to see that, seeing those possibilities, should have led Ken Olson to see that uh, his product would eventually become more. The last example I want to talk about are both BlackBerry and Palm Pilot, because they encountered the same issue, and which was not changing your thinking. It was not changing your thinking enough. 
And in fact, both of them saw the industry change way too late and then tried to change the way they were thinking about their product and they failed at it. And the sad thing is, is that Palm Pilot was a fantastic product. It was a personal digital assistant. It did everything for you. It was everything that your phone does, games, apps in general, uh, calendar, all that stuff, without the phone part. And everybody looked at it, except for Palm Pilot, it seemed, but everybody except for Palm Pilot, it seemed, looked at their device and said, why can't you just add a phone to this? And so when Palm went to add a phone to their device, it was too little too late, and it was uh, they were up against BlackBerry at that point. Now, BlackBerry had a superior product for business users. I think Palm would have had a great product for home users, and in fact, I knew a few people who had a Palm Pilot phone, but it was big, clunky, and the second they could find something to replace it, they replaced it. But eventually Palm Pilot went out of business. And I always think that that's a really sad thing because uh, I used a Palm Pilot for quite a while and I loved it. It worked so well. And it, it, the software, the, the user experience was just fantastic. And I actually haven't really found that same level of experience even with uh, an Android or an iOS. But BlackBerry encountered the same issue, which was... They had a phone, it had apps, it was essentially everything Palm Pilot wasn't, uh, but it had a physical keyboard. And then when the iPhone came out and eventually Android phones started filling the market, they started pushing BlackBerry out. And it was because BlackBerry never changed what they did. They were held to this legacy of our audience wants a very specific thing. In fact, when they went to a phone that had no physical keyboard, nobody liked it. They, the people who used BlackBerry liked their physical keyboard. And so they were pretty much stuck, but they also had an opportunity to uh, change their audience. And they had an opportunity to start moving their current audience towards their new product. They just ran out of time because they saw the market change too late and they did too little to change it. So that's a, essentially a cautionary tale, is to always keep an eye towards what could happen, what could come. Have a vision that continually evolves. Find ways to continually change the way you think about things. That's, where, uh, that's why I wrote my book, Play to Innovate, because I discovered a way that I could continually change the way I think about things. But let me switch gears here for a second and talk about what you can do when you're held back from being more innovative or being more creative. And the reality is that it can be very hard to see what's actually holding you back. But if you do find that it's something like low morale or you're not feeling motivated, it's time to take a couple of days, a week, whatever, and figure out what is holding you back. Maybe it's time for a change. In fact, it most likely is time for a change. And if fear is holding you back from making that change, my advice is to start doing a little bit here, a little bit there towards that change. Just kind of dip a toe in and start cautiously moving forward towards the change that you'd like. And over time, you'll start seeing that you can handle it and you'll be able to make that change. 
Of course, no guarantees, but of course, fortune favors the bold, so uh, start making that change. Now, if you lack vision, and I think a lot of us fall into this category at some point or another, it's just time to get outside of what you already know. So start getting curious. Explore other industries. Learn about current innovations and developments. Start looking at how people solve the problems in their industry and see if you can take some of those concepts and do what I call port them over to your industry. So it's not directly applying how they do things as much as you adapt what they do to what you do. Over time and staying curious, continually learning will help open up your vision to the possibilities of what can happen with your product, in your industry, in your business, things like that. So my advice is to be a lifelong learner and just get curious. Now, if you're relying on, and I see a lot of people do this, by the way, it's not just you and it's not just me, but if you're relying on what I call common knowledge or coming to conclusions based on what you see or what you just kind of think up, it's time to go and find some verified, non-biased, reliable sources. And I'm not talking about blogs here. I'm talking about actual vetted sources. So either scientific journals or, um, you know, vetted, vetted news outlets, reliable news outlets. And this has nothing to do with politics. And this has nothing to do with biases and all of that. It is about doing what they teach in college, which is finding three vetted sources that agree in general but are not the same article just kind of adapted to somebody else's website. The internet is still a great place to find solid evidence and uh, facts that will help prove or disprove your, your belief. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people believe that it's okay to just believe what they believe and kind of go with that. It's not. It's really holding you back. It's holding your company back. It's holding your career back. It's time to break out of that, that belief and that cycle. And again, vetted, non-biased, reliable sources. All right, enough about that. Now, if you find that fear is holding you back, what is the fear from? Is it misunderstandings? Is it uh, like a lot of people go through, you don't know what to expect, and so there's fear involved in that? Is it a fear of criticism? Or is it a fear of some kind of reprisal? Now, I want to say, if you are in an environment where you are afraid of reprisal because you've watched it happen to other people or it's happened to you, get out of that environment. Find another job, uh, leave that, that circle of friends, whatever you need to do to remove yourself from that situation. It's, it's unhealthy. Come on. You, you know it's unhealthy. Just get out of that situation, move on, and find something that's a healthier environment. And if you need to, if it's a career issue, find a career coach to talk to and see if you can get some help moving on past that. Now, if you're concerned about criticism and you're just not speaking up because you're concerned about what people might say, my advice is to go and talk to a trusted colleague or a mentor or go to a friend or a family member and, and share your idea first and then see what they have to say. When you get some reassurance, then go and share that with the broader audience of your colleagues. But if you're afraid of criticism because you want to do something that is 
more of a creative nature. You have to understand that, uh, as Harrison's postulate says, for every action, there's an equal and opposite criticism. Everything can be criticized. You're probably going to get some either silent, what, what I call silent criticism, where people are criticizing you in their minds, they're not saying anything, or you're going to get some overt criticism. Uh, what I normally do is ask the critic, so the last time you were in that situation or the last time you did it, what did you do? I'd love to learn from somebody who was successful at it. That tends to shut them up. But if you're afraid because you're not clear on what's going to happen or what to expect, do a little bit of research, but start inching towards whatever that is that, that's making you afraid. And kind of poke at it a little bit if you need to and see where it takes you. Now, if you feel held back because you're, you're not changing your thinking or you don't know how to change your thinking, rest assured that that is beyond common. It's very difficult to get outside of your own head and change the way you think. Again, that's why I developed Play to Innovate, and that's the technique I've been using for the last 20 years because I found it very difficult to get out of my way of thinking. But once I was able to get silly and, and playful, it really helped me to start changing what I was thinking. And if you need to, go off and do some research. See what other people are doing. I'm always a champion of pulling from other industries, other product types. If you're in software, go see how uh, real physical products are working. If you're working with physical products, check out some software. I was asked the other day what innovation I saw in the news that really impressed me. And the guy who asked me was actually talking about websites. But the fact is, I haven't really seen any websites lately that really impress me as some kind of innovation. But I have seen plenty of products that I believe are innovative. And I can take concepts from those products and apply them to my work in software and the web. Now, if you're talking about what might be holding your company back, there are certainly issues of culture and people at the individual contributor level or middle management with work styles and habits and things like that that are holding back your company. But it always starts at the very top. And it can be very challenging because being at the very top, trying to look down through layers of management to see what's going on is, is very difficult. I always recommend putting in place a system where people can give feedback all the way up to the highest levels in the organization, even if it's anonymous. Of course, you're going to have to weed through the personal issues of I, they just don't like somebody, and so they're you know, kind of reporting some negative issue. But you will still, for the majority of the time, get some solid, reasoned issues that you can then work through. And once you see these things, it's time to work through them, communicate with everybody directly, and explain what you plan to do, or that you see the issues, and that, you know, and if you don't have ideas on how to fix them, say so. And that's why it's a corporation. That's why it's corporate. The entire group is there as a whole, trying to put something together, trying to do something or make something happen. And so feel confident going to your employees and asking for ideas. I'm sure they will have some really solid ideas. Well, I hope you got something out of today. If you have questions, comments, even if they're negative, please leave them. Let me know. I would love to hear what you have to say. Again, this whole podcast is really for you. So I wanted to 
be something that you can get something out of. And so if I missed something or you have questions, please leave a comment. All right. I had a great time talking at you. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Hey, everybody. You know, I recognize I haven't really explained much about what Play to Innovate really is and what it can do for you. If you would like more information, go to 5pebblesllc.com. That's the number 5, Pebbles, L-L-C, it's all one word, dot com, and check out the information there. Otherwise, you can go and find my book on Amazon.com, search under books for Play to Innovate, and there's a full description there as well. If you'd like to leave a comment, I would love to hear what you have to say. I'd also like to know how I can help you further your journey towards being more creative and more innovative. All right, I will talk to you later. Bye.